Well, hi. It's kind of crazy. I feel weird talking to you guys without like some kind of mic in my hand or anything. It's weird to not have anything in my hands. Um, my name is Drew, Drew Brinkley. Um, I'm 22 years old. I am the associate music director here at Pathfinder, and I've been attending here for about four years um, now. And I'm super excited to be able to share my testimony with you guys tonight um, because I think that it shows just a really good example of how God can use um, pain and passion um, to draw us to himself. And I think that, that as I give this story tonight and as I tell you a little bit more about myself, you'll, you'll definitely see both sides of that, both, both pain and passion um, pulling me closer to him. Um, so some of you guys might know me as the guy with the ripped jeans and the tattoos on the stage, um, hence as I, as I am now. Um, but what you guys might not know is that I actually wasn't always um, ripped jeans in worship, right? So I actually would bet most of you guys wouldn't believe me if I said I was actually raised out in the country. Um, so I was actually um, raised on a farm. I lived in a tiny little A-frame kind of home with a little mini like lake creek kind of thing next to us and a pig farm right down the street. Um, yeah, the whole thing, barns and all. Um, when I was really young, you know, I lived with my mom, Danielle, my father, Gary, and then also my older sister, Ashley, um, and my duck, which his name was Chuck, of course, which was great, until a bobcat actually got in and got him. Yeah, I know, sigh. That's the sad, that's the pain of the story. Um, so one of the reasons you guys might not necessarily peg me as like this farm boy, country boy is because really it didn't last that long. Um, I moved around quite a bit um, and slowly but surely I went from this kind of farm life to more of a rural, suburban-ish life in a place called New Haven. Um, New Haven, Missouri, but I didn't stay there for too long either. Um, I still remember to this day kind of when we were moving and when that shifted um, because I was on the school bus on the ride home and I was coming down our little street and I just remember looking at our house um, and all of our stuff was out on the front lawn. It was like we were having some kind of a yard sale. Um, and I just remember looking out of the bus and being so confused at what was happening and as I walked out of the bus and I walked up to the house, my mom approached me and calmly said, we're getting ready to go live with your grandma. Me and your dad are splitting up. Um, and so through kind of this splitting and this divorce, off to, off to grandma's house we went, um, which was, again, a farm. Um, so I was, again, on a farm in a place called Lonedell, um, Missouri. And, you know, it was, it was hard on me, but I remember just thinking at that time, like, hey, this is the situation that I have as a young age. I was probably six or seven, and I just kind of still to this day remember thinking, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man of the house, you know, that kind of initiative um, thought. So we lived, we lived out in Lone Dell um, for a little while until my mom was able to find good enough work and save up enough money to try and move us out um, somewhere that had a better school district. And hence, that's when the West County journey began. That's when I, that's when I got around here. Um, now, at the time, my dad still lived in New Haven, Missouri. And I visited him every other weekend, just as most kids of divorce do. Um, and I was definitely not looking forward to those weekends. I, I did not enjoy um, going to my dad's house because not only was he 
Not only did he never have anything for me and my sister to do necessarily, there was no plans. It was also he was just unnecessarily mean and rude to me. Um, as a young child, I, I still remember, and I'll spare you from all the details, but I still remember one time I was sitting at the dinner table and I let out, um, you know, a, a toot. Or <laughs> and I remember to this day him forcing me to go to the bathroom and I had to sit in the bathroom for two and a half hours. Because in his eyes, if you can't control your toot, then you have to poop. Um, so might have been some different wording there that he used. But I, I just had to sit in there with nothing to do for two and a half hours. Um, and I'd like to say that deep down inside, I wanted to have like this loving relationship um, with my dad. But with that being kind of the image of a father figure... In my eyes, I felt like I'm kind of better off without it. You know, I would rather just stay at mom's house. Um, and mom's house was going great, you know. We, we had moved into an apartment at that time that was called Seven Trails. I think it's now Madison. Um, and the neighborhood was filled with kids that were running around all the time. It was always exciting. And that's where I actually met a family, um, which was the Gardner family. The Gardner family was composed of three boys, and then there was also a, a girl as well. And they were just, um, they were a great bunch of people. And like, I always had fun over there. I always had a good time. And it went beyond that because when I was there, um, I just felt loved. It was a genuine um, sense of love. They treated me and spoiled me um, kind of like I was their own. And so I, they basically became family to me. They lived a couple apartments down. I was there all the time. Um, and yeah, they just kind of became this kind of separate family that I had never had an experience with um, up until this point. And after, after a couple of months of hanging out with them and kind of living this life with them, the boys finally approached me and they had asked me, you know, would you be willing to come to church with us on Sunday morning? Now, mind you, up until this point, the only kind of backstory that I had with church was I was actually raised Mormon. Um, my family was Mormons out in New Haven and you know, obviously you saw how religion and God worked out for my family. So I was like, eh. you might say that I was just a little bit hesitant to want to do that. Um, but they told me that their dad was actually a pastor of the church um, and that it was fun. It was a good time. And plus they were like, plus it's a good way for you to stay the night and spend the night on Saturday and then go with us to church on Sunday. And I was like, you got me. All right, I, I, I can do that. So I ended up deciding to go with them. And this church was a small little non-denominational startup. Um, it actually met in the apartment complex, like, area, the, the little, um, what you call it, the leasing office there, right? So it's, it met in this little leasing office. They brought all their own equipment. There was probably 30 people or so. So it was definitely different than what I was used to. Um, and I could feel something different. And the biggest thing that was different was they had an electric guitar. I was like, what is it? There was just this new kind of music that I had never experienced before in the Mormon church. I didn't know church could be like this. Um, and I just, I saw people so in love with what they were doing and so passionate about the music um, that they were doing. And, and for me up until that point, as far as music, um, my only experience with it really was dancing to it. And yes, I said dancing. I was, I was not the kid that was running around um, and singing and like screaming out at the top of his lungs or anything or playing air guitar. Like I actually loved dancing more than anything. I thought dancing was a really cool way of expressing yourself to music. So for me, this was kind of a whole new interest in music that I had never really had before. 
Um, so I, I continued to attend that church because the music was cool and I really liked it. And not to mention, I was basically staying the night at their house every Saturday. So it was great. Got free coffee in the morning. It was awesome. Um, and so I don't think I was necessarily bought in up until that point, but I attended. Um, but that all changed um, when I went to my dad's one weekend. And it was kind of a bad weekend for us um, <clears throat> just filled with arguing and being locked away in my room, just kind of how it always was. And um, this weekend, my dad had openly admitted to me that he would never love me as much as he loved my sister, um, which is hard to hear um, for a young man, you know. And we were caught up in some kind of argument, and I started trying to tug on some strings you know, just to try and overcome his argument of, well, you let Ashley get away with this kind of stuff, and <clears throat> she gets to make the choices that she wants, and, um, you know, she doesn't get in trouble the way that I do, and that's, yeah, that's, that's when he said it, um, and it, it really struck me hard, you know, I went back to my mom's, and the whole week was completely different, um, I went to church that weekend, and obviously it was still weighing really heavy on my heart, um, I, I just remember during the service at one point just getting so overwhelmed um, that I knew I was going to burst out in tears and I knew I was going to start crying and I didn't want anyone to see me like that. So I ran to the bathroom um, and I hid myself away and the Gardner boys actually found me there um, as I was crying and they asked me, you know, can, can we pray for you? Can, can we take you to our dad and can, can he pray for you? And I said, of course. And so we went out there and found Jason, which was their dad, and he started praying for me and praying for me. And I can't tell you what he was praying, like what the words he was saying, um, but I just remember this overwhelming sense of just warmth um, that surrounded me. And I know it sounds a little cheesy, but it, it really truly almost felt like I was being hugged. Um, it felt like God was just wrapping me up in that moment and hugging me, and I just remember crying with my eyes closed and crying and crying. And when he finished, I looked up, <clears throat> and the church, which had grown to about probably 60-ish or so people at that time, the entire church had just surrounded me, um, and they were all praying over me and, and just caring for me. And I felt so loved um, in that moment, and it was a new kind of love that I hadn't experienced. And that, to me, was when, you know, God really became something new for me. It was, it was my own. And a fire sparked inside of me at that point to really start to buy in, to take this seriously. So I tried to volunteer any way I could and as much as I could in the church. It's a nice thing about a small little church startup. There's plenty of opportunities. So I would usher if they needed me to. I would do lights. I would do sound, do anything that I could. But funny enough, I wasn't actually involved in music yet at that point. Um, that didn't happen until a friend of mine actually bought an electric guitar he was trying to learn electric guitar. He was trying to learn a song and it took him a long time. He couldn't figure it out. So I asked him if I could try. And I tried and it took me a couple minutes to figure out this song, which was Sweet Child of Mine, in case anyone was wondering. Yep, thank you. And I, I figured it out. And so he asked me, he was like, wow, you, you really picked that up quickly. Can you, can you sing? Have you ever sang? And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, I, I don't sing. That's not who I am. I don't do that. Um, but he asked me to do it. And so I sang for him and he told me, he was like, you're actually not bad. Like, you have a pretty good voice. Have you ever thought about being involved in a worship team? And the rest was kind of history, right? So I, I decided at that point, I was like, you know, I'll give it a try. I tried for the worship team, and I 
really kind of birthed the passion of music that I have now. Um, I started volunteering musically any way I could. Um, you know, it would be sometimes just playing for a prayer or playing a service. Or, and so I grew up enough through that um, that I actually became the small group, like, youth leader of worship. So I was leading all of the youth events um, in the church at the time. And I was just on fire. I was excited. Um, I was growing musically. I really enjoyed music. I found my niche at this point. And that's when um, high school hit, you know, which high school, as most of you know, can do a pretty good job of stealing some of that passion and excitement and fire away from you as it did. So for me, high school, you know, it all started going downhill a little bit with this deep desire to be needed, um, to be accepted, and, and to not be abandoned, which I wonder where that came from. And freshman year, that wasn't too big of a deal. You know, I had plenty of friends that surrounded me, but that started to change pretty quickly. Um, throughout the next three years or so of high school, I allowed um, the desire to please others and have others like me kind of steer me off of my path um, and steal away and overcome a lot of my own things that I set apart to, to be morally right. Um, I got led down the path of, of drugs, of drinking, of, you know, going out all the time, skipping school. Um, and it was hard, you know, but thankfully God still had something hooked um, deep inside of me, and that was, that was the music, right? It was, I loved playing the music and playing guitar and singing. Um, and from that desire of music, he started to teach me more about himself, draw me closer to him, and teach me about worship. Um, and, you know, those things were kind of a light in the darkness to me. They, they, they helped me stay who I was. I still remember um, sometimes, you know, I would skip out on, on parties and things like that because I had to practice for a song. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough at the music yet, and I needed to practice. Or, um, you know, I would stop smoking cigarettes and things like that because I knew that I wanted to have a better voice, and I wanted to let my throat... Um, sustain itself. So it continually kept me from that dark side um, when I was really feeling lost. Now, did my stupidity overcome me? Yeah, of course it did. Um, and did I do things in life that I shouldn't have? Absolutely. But God still placed um, such a heavy desire of worship on my heart, um, and it kept me alive and well and deep down knowing that I truly was loved, um, which is something that... Um, I can't say for a majority of the people who were surrounding me and in, in my life at that time. Um, and I never, I never truly took this in and realized this um, as much as I did as senior year. Um, senior year, I had been dating a girl at this point for almost a year or so. Um, and at that point of my senior year of high school, we had a pregnancy scare. And she was um, afraid that, that she was pregnant and we had concern. And that moment, I remember just kind of shook me down so deeply. Um, I remember crying to myself because I thought I had lost, you know, all of the innocence that made me me, all the morals that, that I had. I had lost this, this path that I was trying to follow, and it all was coming, um, crashing down. I mean, reality struck me. Reality hit me of, of everything that had happened through, throughout high school, throughout my life, um, and I felt so hopeless and I, I remember being in that moment and being in that time, I just ended up grabbing a guitar and I started throwing off all of the shame that I had, all of this 
feeling of, of losing who I was, all the guilt that I had felt, and just, just calling um, for God, just asking for God, saying that I need you. To, to rekindle a fire, to help with a passion that I felt like was, was dangerously close, um, to being put out. And out of that, and out of that moment, actually came a song, um, the only song that I've ever really written. Um, and so I want, to, I want to show you guys just a little bit of, of that. sex, whatever it was, God was always at the center of all of it, pursuing me, drawing me in, and using pain and that passion to help me come and know him. And so that's, um, that's where my desire for not just music, but, but worship comes from, from breaking all that down and just and crying out to him. Worship is what anchors me to the love of Christ and the forgiveness that he has, the forgiveness that he gives. Um, it's, it's a constant reminder to me of how God has grown me. And, you know, I still make mistakes, obviously, but, but through worshiping him, it's just that reminder that he's still there with me through it all. Um, and truthfully, where I'm at in my life now is I'm, I'm trying to make that completely in my life, helping others to find their worship. If they're lost in a, in a dark place, helping them realize that, that no matter what pain you might be going through um, or have gone through, God was with you through all of that and it remains with you through all of that. And not only that, but whatever your passion might be, whatever it is, you know, that is your music that you love to do, not only can it be used to glorify God, it can be used to anchor you to him draw you closer to him. Thanks. Wow, thanks, Drew. (laughs) 
Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to take a, take some time to reflect in, on your own uh, engagement with that story. But just to get started, I wanted to say, Drew, thanks. So many things were powerful to me about that. But, but the two that stuck out, the overarching things, were how that was so clearly a true story. Um, sometimes my wife especially accuses me of telling stories that were true about my life, but not in a true way. <laughs> She's like, you, you made that sound better than it was. Or you made that sound like way less painful than it was. Uh, and that was a true story. And, uh, and then for me also then was just to realize how much power there is in true stories. Uh, hearing your story uh, leaves me changed. Uh, and I think that's um, the common theme, whether it's a story that happened 2,000 years ago where you're engaging with what was Jesus doing with this demon-possessed man and with these pigs and, and with these people that lived in fear, or whether it's just a, a few years ago, what, what was God doing through Drew's life? Uh, and as I, um, as I engaged with some of the details of your story, Drew, uh, I, th- I think what hit me is that God never wants any of us to stay where we are, Right? And maybe it's because you're in a bad place and God doesn't want to leave you in the bad place. And maybe it's because you're in a perfectly okay place and God wants something greater for you. And so no matter where you are on that spectrum, I I think I can say confidently to all of us sitting here, God never wants us to stay where we are. And in moments where people are speaking words of rejection and cursing to us, God is always right there offering us a word of acceptance a word of mercy, a word of belonging and blessing. And so I'm going to give you a few minutes now, and I just encourage you to let whatever resonated with you tonight, maybe it was those opening songs that we sang, and maybe there was a lyric there that just that, that stuck out to you in a way it hadn't before. Maybe it was this story of how Jesus engaged with people and told them to follow him or not follow him and what he was doing in their lives. Maybe it was reacting to some of the details of Drew's story that we can all relate with, that that being rejected, feeling pain, and trying. uh, And and Drew, I wrote this down because I thought it was such a good line, but I choose to see your face. I I love that. Uh, that. That maybe God's asking you to trust and to choose to see his face, even in the midst of the hard things that are going on right now. So there are pens in the seats around you if you don't have a pen, but take a few minutes and think through and process what God might be doing in your life right now.